humans. Whoa. <laughs> How do you like that, everyone? Hello, hello, humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled to be talking to you, and I'm talking to you live. Otherwise, we would have done a different intro uh, when my voice cracked. How are you? Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday that it's spring, actually spring in Minnesota Saturday. Um, I, uh, I planted some flowers yesterday. Let me just tell you how wonderful that was. So here I am. You have me live. And so you know, if you know it's live, because I don't get to be live as nearly as much as I want to, although I'll be live next weekend as well, my number to give me a call, because I'd love to hear from you, is 952-946-6205. I'd love to hear from you if you'd like. Well, we've got a good show. Uh, I don't have an interview, um, but uh, don't worry about it, okay? We're going to begin with a story... um, uh, about an upcoming anniversary of the one, one of the most painful events in the civil rights movement. Then we're going to talk about uh, Roe versus Wade, this, this Dobbs case uh, coming out of Mississippi and what the darn Supreme Court is doing. And in that same vein, I want to talk about what the Dobbs decision portends uh, for LGBTQ plus rights. That would be my community. Then we're going to talk about what's happening with uh, school boards. In Minnesota. And of course, I'll always give you a little bit of my update on my work as an idealist, which may include me talking about a reality check that I recently had. But uh, again, since this show is live, I'd love to hear from you and love to talk with, talk with you about anything you want. But in lieu of a featured idealist this week, I want to mark an important but horrific event. Um, in the civil rights movement. I'm talking about the murders of three civil rights workers in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, Those workers were um, uh, Michael uh, uh, Schwermer, um, who was a 24-year-old civil rights worker from New York City, um, who was working with CORE, C-O-R-E, the Congress of Racial Equality, working to register blacks to vote in Mississippi in the summer of 1964. The other two men who were killed, Andrew Goodman, 20 years old, he was from New York City, and he had been recruited to work for CORE by John Lewis. The third man, uh, both Goodman and Schwermer uh, were white. The third man, James Cheney, 21 years old, was black and had been born in Mississippi. Um. All three men um, were idealists in the highest possible degree. They gave their lives for their idealism. Their murders occurred on June 21, 1964. And soon it will be 58 years since those murders occurred. In other words, for me personally, for Ellie Krug, those murders happened in my lifetime. Now think about that. People were being murdered, and they continue to be murdered in America, trust me, on the basis of skin color. But this was an organized execution. Uh, Many of you know the story of the murders, um, just as uh, as the summer of 1964 was starting to take off, okay? And they were – Congress was on the verge of passing the Civil Rights Act. Um, 
and uh, President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act on, I think, July 2nd, 1964. But as the summer of 64 kicked off, um, there was a push to register black voters in the Deep South, voters who up till that time had been disenfranchised. And the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, resented white northerners coming into their state in Mississippi and other states. And in Mississippi in particular, the KKK sought to send a message. Michael Schwermer had talked to the congregation of the Mount Zion Methodist Church in Longdale, Mississippi. He'd done that on Memorial Day, 1964. Now, Longdale is in Neshoba County. The KKK found out about it, found out about Schwermer talking to that congregation, and they wanted to bring him back to Neshoba County. They wanted to get Schwermer back into Neshoba County because Schwermer's core office was based in Meridian, um, down on the you know down on the um, coast of Mississippi, and Philadelphia is in the interior of the state, and they wanted to get him back into Neshoba County because they wanted to um, hurt him. So the KKK burned down the Mount Zion Church, that was black church. They burned it down, hoping that they would lure Schwarmer back into Neshoba County, and it worked. Um, on June twenty fourth. Uh, Schmermer and Goodman and Cheney um, uh, went to investigate the fire. They went and to go and talk to congregation members. And before they left Meridian, they told them, their colleagues at CORE that if they're not back by 4 o'clock to call, to, to start looking for them, because they knew that be, uh, uh, Goodman, Schwermer and Cheney, they knew that they needed to get out of Neshoba County before it started to get dark. Okay, so their words to the folks in Meridian at the core office was, "If we're not back by four, put out the word because we're in trouble." And so um, they went to the church. Uh, then they went and spoke to a couple of the congregants from the church, and they got in their vehicle at three o'clock to make make it back to Meridian by four. Unfortunately. Um, a couple of things happened. One is they they drove through Philadelphia, okay? They attracted the attention of a police officer in Philadelphia. He followed them out of town, and then they got a flat tire. So the police officer came up as they were uh, working to change the tire, and the police officer arrested, uh, I think it was Schwermer, for driving 65 miles an hour in a 35-mile zone and, and held the other two, took them all back to the jail in Neshoba County Jail in Philadelphia, took them back to the jail, and that police officer then put out the word to the local clan that he had them. And they hatched a plan that they would ambush them on the way back out of Philadelphia on the road before they could get to Meridian. And what happened um, is that the three men were released from the jail at about 10 o'clock, they got in their car, uh, they tried to hightail it out of town, and before they knew it, they were being followed by not only a police car, but other cars. Eventually, the police car turned on its light. They felt compelled to, turn, to, to pull over, and at that point, they were taken, the three men were taken to a, a clearing off the highway, you know, some distance off the highway. And they were, they were executed by the Klan. 
Now, I'm telling you all of this because um, this story, the murders in Philadelphia in in June, on June 21, 1964, formed the basis of a piece of a story, uh, an Atlantic magazine article titled Tour Guides to a Tragedy by Coe Bragg. and the murders form the basis for the story. As it turns out, Co Bragg, uh, her stepfather, Obie Riley, was born in Philadelphia, Mississippi. He was two years old when the murders occurred. He eventually left Mississippi after high school but then returned back to Philadelphia. The reason I bring up Obie Riley – and then there's also a woman who lives in Philadelphia, Jewel McDonald. The reason I bring up both Obie and Jewel – is that because both of them have become informal tour guides who share about the horror that occurred in Philadelphia on that June night in 1964. And the reason I use the the phrase informal tour guides, okay, is because there is no formal acknowledgement or historical marker in Philadelphia to commemorate the murders. In fact, Cobrag the author of this piece in The Atlantic, discovered that there is a Philadelphia Neshoba County Historical Museum. It features exhibits about what life was like in downtown Philadelphia in the 1920s, Philadelphia, Mississippi, that is. There's also another room devoted to Philadelphia native and country music star Marty Stewart. And there's also a veterans memorial on the top floor of this building. Kag then writes of her trip to the museum, quote, Our final stop was a replica cabin of the kind you see at Mississippi's Giant House Party, the Neshoba County Fair. The event is an annual week of horse racing, politicking, beer chugging, and whiteness. The fair was where Ronald Reagan launched his presidential campaign with a speech about states' rights, a loud dog whistle not far in the distance or time from the Freedom Summer murders. That's what the murders are called, the Freedom Summer murders. In our, in the town's pride and part uh, it, it's the town's pride and part of the reason Philadelphia's tagline is quote our fair city, Keg writes. At the end of the tour, I asked my guide if maybe I had missed the Mount Zion exhibit. That would be the Mount Zion exhibit about the church being burned down. And uh, uh, quote. Uh, continuing to read from the Atlantic piece. This is supposed to be back before the 60s, you know. And all that happened in the 60s, she said. That would be the the museum curator. We don't have anything on that. We stood in silence. A museum board member later confirmed that it doesn't have anything on Mount Zion or the murders and that curators focus on the agricultural and industrial history of the county, not social justice or race. We stay away from issues that would be controversial, he said. Um, these are the kinds of <laughs> – hold on. I want to also give you one more quote from Keg. Excuse me, Co Bragg. Sorry, Co Bragg. Quote, but despite the silence in Neshoba County, the markers of this history are all around, if you know where to look. They're in church cemeteries and in the stories passed down, the ghosts that appear to haunt only some of us, especially during the past two years of the pandemic when gathering with elders has been tricky at best, I've been anxious about all of the memories, histories, and knowledge we stand to lose. 
They are the stewards of this nation's civil rights, and I fear that our history might die with them, unquote. So what Bragg is writing is that these informal tour guides, you know, um, uh, um, Obi and Jewel, they're the only ones holding everything together about the history in Philadelphia. Those who run the, run the county, those who run the town, they don't, they don't want to acknowledge because it's too painful. It's going to be stir things up. It's going to create problems. It's going to make people uncomfortable. Any of that sound familiar to you? That's what we're hearing about this critical race theory. Oh, my God. God forbid we talk about how uh, American history and um, created structural racism and how it's still around. God forbid that we talk about that. So it's better that we don't talk about any of that because we'll make people uncomfortable. I thought it was a fascinating story in The Atlantic and highly, highly recommend it um, because it is important. It's absolutely important that we know what happened in order in order to not repeat it. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. We're going to take a break. I'd love to hear from you. 952-946-6205. Please give me a call. When we come back, I'm going to play a clip. Um, that New York senator yesterday just rocked it about Roe. Bye. And we're back, LE 2.0 Radio, uh, live. So if you're so inclined, I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call at 952-946-6205. I love talking to my listeners. Now, I want to shift and I want to talk about what happened this week. As I'm sure you've been on this station, you've been hearing a lot about what happened this week with the draft. And we need to make sure that we – I emphasize that it's a draft opinion in the Dobbs case about the – Mississippi abortion law um, in which in this leaked opinion, 80-some pages, uh, Justice Alito writes and holds that uh, Roe Roe should be overturned, there should be no precedent value to Roe v. Wade, and that the question of abortion should be left to the states rather than to the federal government. I mean, I am positive that many of the listeners here are well aware of what happened this week, and I'm positive that many of you are incensed by it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, on the way in this morning as I was coming here, I was listening to um, MSNBC on my car radio, and, and um, you know, the part of the discussion was about how even with Dobbs being leaked, the outrage really isn't there from a lot of quarters, including from men. The men are, I mean, hardly any men have spoken up. 
And uh, hardly any members of Congress have spoken up, although one member, a senator, Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, she did speak up. And uh, we're going to play a clip. Uh, it's, it's a little long. It's about three minutes, 44 seconds. It's well, well worth listening to. We're going to play a clip, and I'll talk to you on the other side of the clip about what she has to say. Um, by the way, pay attention to the last sentence or two of what she says because it portends, portells, whatever the word is, what may also happen after Roe goes away. Okay. Thanks, Dan. This is an issue that is defining for this country today. And if the American people don't stand up for equality for every American at this moment in time, we will be undermining a right to privacy in more than this context. Women deserve freedom and bodily autonomy. We deserve to be able to make decisions about when we are having children, under what circumstances we are having children, how many children we are having, and at what time we are having children. I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. Imagine you do not have authority over your own body for 10 months. Imagine if that decision-making would not be taken away even if you would die in childbirth, even if you couldn't decide who you were having children with, even if you couldn't decide when you were having that child. I don't think a man in America could actually imagine not having control of his body, his bodily functions, what happens to him, and what life would be like for 10 months. It is an outrage that we have five justices on the Supreme Court who lied, lied in their confirmation hearings in order to be confirmed. It is an outrage that in America today that our judicial system is so corrupted and so politicized and no longer representative of the will of the people. Five justices said they respect precedent, precedents. Five said that Roe v. Wade was established precedents. Five said they would never undermine established precedent. It is unconscionable what this decision will do to the American people. I do not think that 50% of America should be told that they have to put their bodies at risk of life or death without their consent. It is barbaric, it is inhumane, it is unacceptable, and I hope every human being in this country understands that when you take away a woman's right to make her decisions about her health and well-being, she is no longer a full citizen. She no longer has freedom, she no longer has bodily autonomy, she no longer has basic civil rights or civil liberties. That is what this decision would do in America today. Make no mistake, equal rights, constitutional rights to privacy, the ability to make your own decisions about your own life and your own death are on the ballot in November. I hope there is no one who's confused about this. It may happen to your daughter, it may happen to your wife, it may happen to your mother, it may happen to your transgender friend, it may happen to anyone, and it is not acceptable. This is a life or death moment, and we need to fight like it is. 
Everyone, that was Kirsten Gillibrand, um, senator from New York, talking about the draft opinion, the leaked Dobbs decision, and what it would mean for Roe to be nullified, Roe v. Wade. The thing I want to point out is that this isn't just simply about, you know, abortion, as she said. The laws that that are – I mean there are – I think it's about a dozen states that have trigger laws, which – I mean they're already on the books, that if Roe is invalidated automatically, okay, those states will ban abortion. Now, please understand those bans in most of those states are bans against abortion even if the woman is raped by a stranger on a street, even if – she is the victim of incest from that horrible uncle or father, even if, even if the mother likely will die in childbirth. Those laws don't care. Just consider that. How unbelievably cold. Okay, it looks like we might have a caller. Um, who do we – Dan, just go ahead and patch him through. Hello, this is Ellie Krug. Hi, Ellie. It's Lynette. Hey. How are you? Hey, Lynette. Good to hear from you. Oh, thank you for playing that, Christian Gillibrand. You know, I have a few things to say about that. Um, I have never voted for any politician that's ever been against abortion because it's very inhumane. It isn't just a woman's issue. Absolutely not. It affects all of us. And, you know, on a lighter side, metaphorically, um, I have a question that I like to ask people about, you know, okay, I'll ask you. Do you know of anybody that likes crowds or loves, you know, being in traffic, standing in line, you know, have you ever heard anyone, usually they'll say, oh, I got somewhere before there was a crowd, or, you know, I got there, no one was there, it was great. The hypocrisy to me of this is that most of these people that will say that they are, you know, for every human being to be born, doesn't want to stand in line anywhere, doesn't want to feel the results of more people around us. You don't see those signs, those billboards that are, you know, pro-life where there's a lot of people. You see them out in the country where people are living with lots of space around them. They don't want to live near a lot of people. If you love lots of people and you want every human to be born, then go spend some time in India. Go spend some time in China. Go to places where there's a result of many, many, many humans. This country does not know what that's like. People in North Dakota are against abortion because there's no people that live there. I mean, this is such a hypocrisy in so many ways, and that's one of the things that I like to bring up to people. Is no, one like, no one likes crowds, and yet you want every human to be born. Really? <laughs> I don't think they've thought this through. Well, that's a great, you know, I've never considered that before, but that's a really great point, Lynette. I mean, of course, um, you know, there's the uh, George Carlin bit that I uh, saw yesterday about abortion. And, you know, and as he points out so well, is that, you know, they want to protect uh, the abortion, anti-abortion uh, people want to protect, you know, 
the sanctity of life up till the moment of birth, but then forget it about that. They don't want to do any, you know, prenatal stuff. They don't want to do any any uh, Head Start stuff. They don't want to do any mother, you know, uh, care after the birth or the child care after the birth. They don't want to. They don't yeah. want to fund schools. They don't want to fund, you know, food programs. You know, they don't want to do any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. how much do they care about humans? It's, it's really kind of yeah. a pathetic yeah. joke, this idea you want every baby to be born. No, you don't. It's just, it just sounds like something to be for, and it's, it's really an, it's, yeah. it's just so disgusting. I yeah. It makes me well, very upset, as you can tell. Yeah, no, no. And, and I, th- I mean, for me, it's, it's not only that. It's just the radicalness of it in the sense that we don't care if you got raped by a stranger on a dark street, and now... You know, yeah, but no, you know, have... you know darn well that if these, if this is in their family, because you know, if this happens to their daughter, and I'm talking about the people that say they're for this. I mean, I when I had an abortion years ago, I remember talking to one of the nurses there, and my mother was with me at the time, and and um, she said. You know, my mom said, oh, there's nobody protesting today, and this was back in the 80s. And she goes, yeah, you know, the hypo- she said the, the really crazy thing is she said that some of those people that are out there in the parking lot protesting will come in with their daughters and say, oh, do they have to be in the room with those women? And she said, I've had to say to them, oh, did your daughter get pregnant in a different way than those women? You know, like, oh, it's okay for when they need right. it. But not for those other people. That's why it's it's just so ridiculous. Well, Lynette, thanks for the vulnerability, though, about sharing about your personal story. I really appreciate that. Um, it's good to hear from you. And, yeah. and thanks. <laughs> no, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. I always yeah, well, appreciate, I appreciate when you're calling. Your okay. So. All right. Well, take care. All right. Okay. Thank okay. You, you thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. We've got to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about what... Uh, Kristen Gillibrand said at the very end of uh, that wonderful, wonderful speech. And we're back on AM 950, uh, listening to me, Ellie Krug. So uh, as you heard at the end of Kirsten Gillibrand's speech, she talked about the impact on mothers, you know, sisters, daughters, and she said, referenced your transgender friend. And the reason for that is because Dobbs, as it is written right now, as it's written right now, opens the door to going after privacy rights that Roe helped enumerate um, that helped those privacy rights to protect LGBTQ people. And so I'm, I'm reading quickly here from a Vox uh, article by uh, Ian Milheiser dated uh, May 6, 2022. Um, he writes this, okay, quote, the central thrust, thrust of Alito's draft opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson women's health organization, the case seeking to overrule Roe, is that only rights that are, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and, quote, implicit in the concept of ordered liberty are protected. 
Here's the deal, okay? Justice Alito has dissented from every opinion that has ever protected LGBTQ people. He's dissented in part by claiming, okay, by claiming that um, that though that the idea, okay, the idea of protecting LGBTQ people um, is it's, it must bow to uh, conservatives, okay, because it will make people feel bad, right? That 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 what he fear, what Alito fears, as he's written in his dissents, is that if we give LGBTQ plus people rights, it's going to tamp down the rights, the religious rights of people to to object. And and so we've got the person writing the Dobbs opinion who has always objected to LGBTQ people getting the vote, the right to the the right to to marry, the right to um, work and not be fired because they're LGBTQ plus, but as it relates to transgender people in particular, okay? My concern is, my concern is that they will come gunning for us, literally. That this will open the door to say, you can never, ever identify, legally change your status from anything past what you were born with for plumbing. I'll come back to this in another day, no doubt. We've got to take another break. When we come back, I'll do a little bit on my C block. Thanks. She will always... And I'm back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, some of the uh, the wonderment of uh, live radio is that when you say something that's not complete um, or doesn't make sense, uh, there's not much you can do about it. And, you know, I mean, I am totally a novice at this business. I mean, you know, if you want the pro, you got Matt McNeil, okay? And, and oh God, I, you know, Matt is just perfect, all right? He is just great. And then you get me, okay, who stumbles over her words and all kinds of things. As I was finishing up the piece uh, about uh, how Dobbs can affect LGBTQ plus people, I kind of stumbled because I didn't really make the point that I wanted to make. And I'm going to make that quickly and then i got to move on and talk about other things. Here's the deal, okay? In the Dobbs decision, Alito writes that only rights that are, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty are protected by the Constitution. Okay. Only those kinds of rights. Now, of course, we could go back to the fact that the Constitution enshrined slavery, okay, and, and that women had no rights whatsoever, um, and that, you know, people who are LGBTQ, I mean, when the Constitution, I mean, this, this was a crime, this was so, – so if, if, it, if the test is going to be deeply, you know, rooted – rights in the nation's history, deeply rooted, okay? The idea, the idea that you might be transgender is just impossible because there was no such thing back when the Constitution 
was ratified. I mean, not publicly. I mean, there were there there have been people, people who have identified of the other gender and dressed in the other clothing um, throughout the history of the world, but there was no such thing as transgender people. And so, you know, that's why. That's why I'm worried. That's why I'm afraid. Because I've already heard, already heard talk about a national law come, you know, November when the Republicans are in control with maybe Donald Trump as the Speaker of the House. I've already heard about a push for a national law to prevent transgender girls from playing in sports. Okay, and it's not – there'll be other steps, you know, against transgender people after that. So at any rate, okay, that's why um, I'm worried about Alito. That's why I'm worried about the Dobbs decision. Okay, let me move on. I want to talk with you about school boards. How's that sound? Um, and part of this is coming from a piece in the 74 uh, uh, that was – came down on May 4th of 2022 by Beth Hawkins. Um, she's she's cites some statistics here, okay? Um, and these are statistics that come from the Minnesota School Board Association. All right, um, uh, there are uh, 2,200 um, elected officials, um, you know, from school boards in the in the state of Minnesota. And um, since the start of the 2020-2021 school year, up to February of 2022. 86 school board members resigned. So far in 2022, out of that 86, 26 have quit. Six of those quit in April. Now, now, the, the normal attrition, okay, the normal attrition for school board members is 12 to 15 board resignations per year. Okay? It, you know, so that's normal. We have going on I don't know, what is that, five, six times the normal rate of resignations happening? Um, and, 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 and why? So uh, Beth Hawkins, uh, she focuses on a, a man named Bob Nystrom from Brainerd, Minnesota. He was on the Brainerd, Minnesota Public School Board. And Nystrom has uh, recently resigned. <clears throat> and he resigned because um, parents... Uh, accused school board members, we're talking in Brainerd, okay, of all kinds of things. Um, Very angry over critical race theory in Brainerd, Minnesota, over angry over masks, angry over a whole lot of things, okay? You may recall that several months back, a couple months at least, back I had Kelsey Waits on my show. Uh, She was the school board member for the city, for the Hastings, Minnesota school board, whose a transgender child was outed in the process of Kelsey running for re-election for the school board, and outed by parents seeking to keep Kelsey from winning and, and to punish Kelsey and her family, you know, which ended up uh, Kelsey Waits needed to move out of Hastings uh, to protect her, which she believed to protect her family and her child. And so, you know, this school board thing, I mean – what happens um, with school boards when we don't – I mean – and Beth Hawkins writes this. I mean when we don't have people that are stepping up, you know, people 
you know, being willing to, to you know, do civic duty to, because of the vitriol uh, associated with, you know, being on a school board. Um, and, and think about how fundamental it is to be on a school board because it is about the education of a child. Um, and, you know, we're tr- what we're trying to do is produce, you know, knowledgeable, active, competent, responsible citizens to run our democracy. It's not going to work without people being actively engaged. And we've got to educate them. I mean, we have to educate them in order for them to be actively engaged. So, all right, well, just school boards, pay attention to what's going on in your local school board. Please do that. Now, let me talk about my C block in the six six minutes less or so that I've got left. Um, You know, my C block here, I always talk about my work as an idealist. I am an idealist. My my phrase is hopeless idealist, although somebody uh, today, this week pointed out, Elliot, that's kind of an oxymoron. And maybe I should be just saying I'm hopelessly idealistic. Um, although we say hopeless romantic and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Um, so um, at any rate, uh, my work. So you may know, I mean, we just got done talking about school. So one of my things, one of the things that I am trying to do is to go into schools and talk to in particular, LGBTQ plus kids. There are organizations in schools called Gay Straight Alliances. Sometimes they're called Gender and Sexuality Alliances, GSAs. Um, and they have kids in them. And many times, I mean, these organizations exist because this is a place where kids can be safe. There's a lot of bullying that goes on in schools against LGBTQ plus kids as well as against any kid who is different or other. And so this week I was able to go to a middle school – um, in my school district at uh, um, uh, Eastern Carver County School School District, I went to a middle school. I had um, fifth and fifth and sixth graders um, in the room with me, and let me just tell you. I mean, we I I think there were twenty four kids, twenty five kids. Let me just tell you, these humans, smart, very self aware, very engaged. I, I'm. I mean, I'm in awe. I was in awe of them every time I go and I speak to young humans. I'm in awe at just how in tune they are with things that I had no idea about at their ages. And and it was, it's a humbling, it's a humbling experience that you that I come in and and um, and and talk with them and and we talk about things like what is your mantra you know what is the thing that you say in your head we talk about the power of human authenticity what makes you authentic it's not just about gender or sexuality it can be if you're a writer or a musician or whatever and you know i i met i met an 11 year old um uh this week who the degree of of maturity and self awareness just kind of just blew me away, and so you know this is this is good work. It's good work. Next week, I'm going to uh, uh, talk to educators and administrators about how to be welcoming to trans and non binary kids. Going to do that as well, 
And I hope that I can continue to work with kids, work with youth, because it nourishes me and it makes me, it fuels my idealism because it reminds me of why I do the work that I do generally around diversity and inclusion and all kinds of things. Okay. All right. Now, um, before I go, I want to talk about um, me learning still. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think that we all get um, into these modes where we, we believe, you know, people all think the same way that we do. Okay. At least the ones that we you know, that we hang out with, the ones that we socialize with. And I got reminded recently that that's not the case. And, and, and it's so much, it so much um, upset me, that would be the right word, okay, that I got up and I walked away. I, I, just, I just said, I got to go. And, and then... Um, Within a minute or two, once I was away, I said, what are you doing? You know, this is the kind of thing that you um, talk to people about. This is the kind of thing that you tell people they have to sit in when it's bumpy, that when it's uncomfortable, they can't run away. What are you doing, Ellie? What? Are you going to be a hypocrite, Ellie? So I went back. I did. I went back and reengaged with that person, and hopefully, um, hopefully, my walking away wasn't uh, the thing that caused um, any kind of fracture in the relationship. Well, I see. I've got music that's telling me I'm done, and so I need to do a big thanks to my producer, Dan. Dan, thank you very much. Listeners, thanks for, and Lynette, thanks for calling. Next week, I'm going to be live. I have a couple of men in here to talk about white men and their privilege and how they're trying to work to become better allies to people who are different or other. In the meantime, visit my website at elliekrug.com. You know, um, reach out to me on Gmail at lejkrug at Gmail, and I will be back next week. Thanks so very much.